faith, hope, inspiration, and edification. Welcome to the Edify Podcast with Billy Hallowell, a show that cuts through the cultural noise to explore the biggest headlines and issues of the day. Let's dive into today's show. And we are here with the Edify podcast on a new day and a new time. Well, really just a new day because podcasts don't need to have set times. But you can expect new episodes of the show on Wednesdays now, which is really exciting. It's sort of like the hump day, middle of the week mix. So you can listen to our show every Wednesday here on the Edify app. I'm excited for today's show because I have a friend coming on who you've hopefully gotten a chance to know through Edify. Her name is Charlotte Pence Bond. She is Vice President Mike Pence's daughter. She's an author. She is a podcaster. She hosts a show on the Edify Network called Doubting It. And it's all about doubt. It's an amazing show. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And when I say doubt, it's about faith faith and doubt, and how those two things merge together and what it means to doubt and how we find our way back to faith and so many other amazing topics. So Charlotte's going to come on, and obviously we are just days away from what most people are calling, or at least many people, the most consequential, important election of our lifetime, if not in history. And so, of course, that can get dramatic sometimes, right? I think we say that every time, but there is something that feels different about this election. And I think it's the energy. I think it's the fact that we're seeing with all the early voting and the crazy coronavirus chaos, we're seeing people line up. Um, I'm here in New York and I'm hearing crazy stories of people waiting hours. My pastor waited, I think, like three or four hours to vote. And so there's a real thirst to live out the rights that we've been granted. And it's pretty amazing to see in this country, uh, people running out to vote. There are other people who can't, you know, they're saying, look, I don't know if I'm going to vote. I can't vote for either candidate or I'm going to write someone in. I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do at the polls. You don't have to just opt for Biden or Trump, right? But I want to talk a little bit about politics. Usually we start the day with headlines on the show here. We're going to start just quickly by going over where we are in the polls. So today is October 28th when you when we've recorded the show. And right now, Joe Biden is still pretty far ahead of President Donald Trump in the polls. The Real Clear Politics National Average has Biden at 51.1% and Trump at 43.6%. That is a 7.5 lead. Um, you know, spread for Biden over Trump. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, Now, the polls, you know, there was a lot of trickery with the polls in 2016. And so a lot of people are skeptical. They don't think these polls are reflecting what is going to happen. And, you know, I'll tell you as somebody who went to school and studied social research that, you know, when you do polling properly, it's reliable within a margin of error. I think politics are a little different. It's a little tricky right now. We don't know... If people are being honest, we don't know if people are are truly sure of who they're going to vote for. I think we saw in 2016 a lot of inconsistency, although Hillary Clinton did win the popular vote, right? So we talk about the fact that Trump won. Well, there's an electoral college win. Uh, She was ahead in the national polls, which was reflected in the fact that she did uh, win the popular vote. So uh, some of the but it's some of the battleground states. That's where it seems like there were some issues, individual state level. And right now, Biden is up three point six points on average in the spread. He's got forty nine point two percent of top battlegrounds. Trump has forty five point six 
65%. According to Real Clear Politics, the betting odds, let's see here, the betting odds, 64% for Biden and 34.9% for Trump. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. We're going to talk a little bit about politics with Charlotte when she comes on. Obviously, her father is up for re-election with President Donald Trump, and so that'll be very interesting. Into that, I actually want to air for you a segment that I do every week on the first TV. If you're not familiar with the first, it's a conservative news network. You can find it over on the Pluto app. It's a TV network. And I do a weekly commentary, usually on faith and politics in the intersection of the two. And I'm going to start sharing some of these segments on the show here because there's there's just so much going on in our world. And in this particular segment that you're about to hear, there is really a response here to AOC and a tweet that she sent out about religious freedom and her take on why people often in the Christian world, it seems, will bring up religious freedom and her disagreement with that. And then my response to what it was she had to say. So with no further ado, let's run that clip from the first. So AOC has a message for Republicans who she believes are trying to co-opt faith. Now, in a recent tweet, she lashed out and said, quote, sick and tired of Republicans who co-opt faith as an excuse to advance bigotry and barbarism. Now, I'm going to come back to barbarism in a minute. But she went on to say, quote, fact is, if today Christ himself came to the floor of Congress and repeated his teachings, many would malign him as a radical and eject him from the chamber. Now, I've got to be honest with you, there is a lot of irony here. But first and foremost, before we even get there, people on both sides of the aisle have tried to co-opt faith. And they do it with every issue because this is politics. It's dirty, it's awful, and you try to score votes with different groups. But let's make something very clear. While we're throwing stones here, there is only one side of the aisle that has actually grappled with trying to eject God from the platform. And it's actually the Democrats, the side that AOC is on. If you'll remember, in 2012, the Democratic Party removed God and then put God right back into the platform once people freaked out. And at the 2020 DNC, one nation under God was removed during meetings with groups who were allied to the party. And sure, these were anecdotals, but but the brushstrokes come together to paint what I would say is a pretty troubling picture. And it doesn't end there. You've had senators who create litmus tests. They've told Catholic judicial nominees that the dogma lives loudly within them and that this is a concern to them. You know, when you have Russell Voigt, a nominee for deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget, who actually went on to take that position, but a couple years ago when he was up for it, he was told by Senator Bernie Sanders that his faith perspective means that he's, quote, really not someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. This is a litmus test. And you have to wonder how anyone can say what AOC said and do it with a straight face. Now, let me be clear. I'm not going to say that Jesus was a Republican or a Democrat, but we have some facts that we have to grapple with. First and foremost, Republicans are much more likely than Democrats to actually say they are Christians. 82% of people who lean Republican or who are Republican identify as Christians, as opposed to 63% of those who lean Democrat. Now, the same thing happens with church attendance and a whole bunch of other indicators. And I want to just point out, AOC is right about a couple of things. She said Jesus called us to love others, and that includes our enemies. I agree. That he called us to care for those in need. I agree. These are the fruits of the Christian heart. And anyone who is a solid Christian Bible believer, and yes, this includes the Republicans who are mostly Christian in Congress and who somehow she believes would be thrown out of the chamber or would throw Jesus out, rather. But, but here's the harsh reality. Jesus also called us to some other things 
to follow his will, to die to ourselves, to go and sin no more, and to honor life. And that includes the lives of the unborn. So while we're on the topic of barbarism, it's hardly a stretch to note that killing babies in the womb is morally wrong, and it's completely rejected by the side who AOC is targeting. And here's the crazy thing. There is no world in which Jesus would march into that chamber and champion the perspective that innocent unborn children, the very lives that are made in his image and created by his miraculous design, should be killed at will. I mean, sure, Republicans, like Democrats, they've got some policies that are wrong. Because here's the thing, we're all sinful and not every human construct is going to be based on moral perfection. But there's some other issues I took with what she said. She also said, quote, the only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. This is an insane oversimplification. It does such a disservice to the discussion at hand. Many of the very people she is targeting, they argue for their rights to religious conscience because we have a First Amendment. But these people are advancing religious freedom abroad. They are routinely speaking about all sorts of issues pertaining to Jesus and to freedom. They're opening their wallet to help the poor. I mean, these are such silly and unfounded claims, and I could go on and on, but the fact is that far too many people are trying to remake Jesus into their own image today. Neither party holds policies that are wholeheartedly Christian, but AOC's comments are so detached from reality and tone deaf, especially when it comes to the spiritual weaknesses in the very party to which she belongs. But yet she thinks the Republicans, they're gonna boot Jesus out. They're the ones more likely to abide by his teachings. And so let's stop this. Let's have real conversations about the issues at hand, about religious freedom, about religious liberty, and about equal rights. Let's have that conversation, but let's do it with truth and with goodwill. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. And we are back with more of the Edify podcast. I'm Billy Hollowell, and I'm excited to dive into our interview today. And before I do, just to reflect a little bit on the AOC bit, I think it's important that we have these discussions because when there's a mischaracterization, it doesn't matter where it's coming from, on which side, truth matters. And so we got to break down these affairs, describe them, discuss them, understand what is really at play. And that that's why... I deliver that monologue. I think it's important to do that. It's not important to me to be a partisan or to be somebody who, just like I said in that bit, I'm not here to say Jesus is a Republican, Jesus is a Democrat, but I am here to say, look, we we might have an issue on one side with some of these faith proclamations, right? We might have a problem where we are actually restricting people's beliefs and restricting their First Amendment rights, especially when we're setting up litmus tests. And that's an important thing. And so one of the big issues on the docket for a lot of evangelicals and a lot of Christians more generally is religious freedom, is the First Amendment. And so that's something I am just always passionate about. And I'm very interested as we dive into this next interview to talk with Charlotte Pence Bond just about her life story, right? She is from a political family. And I know for her, religious freedom is something she is passionate about among many other issues issues. And just getting a chance to know who Charlotte is, if you've listened to her podcast, Doubting It, you might have a good
good idea of who she is. But if you haven't, this is a great introduction. And really, we get into some things she hasn't talked about on her podcast here. And so I am very excited to welcome Charlotte Pence Bond to the Edify podcast. Hey, Charlotte, how's it going today? Good. How are you doing, Billy? I am good. I'm good. So for those who don't know, you and I have been working together over the past couple of months on your podcast, and now I'm super excited to have you on the Edify podcast to just talk a little bit more about your story, which, by the way, you've shared um, your faith journey on the podcast, and it's just incredible to get a chance to kind of know people and know their background a little bit more, um, especially people whose parents are sort of as public as yours are and people like you who have been out there speaking on so many different issues. And so we're going to talk about a lot today, but mm -hmm. I want to kind of dive in first on a question that I think everybody probably has for you. You probably get asked this a lot and it's somewhat of a loaded question. I'm just going to throw it out to you. What is it like being the daughter of the vice president of the United States. What is that like? <laughs> um, you know, I do get asked that a lot. And um, first of all, thanks for having me on. This is really fun um, to finally be able to do this. Um, I, it's really funny because it's such a, like a boring answer, but at the end of the day, he's just my dad. So it's, it's funny because that didn't change. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily a given um, when you get into such a role like that. But I think my parents have just really always put our family first. So there was no um, there was no real like difference. Everything was just a little elevated or escalated. Um, so, I mean, it's it's funny, like things that became different, you know, obviously security, you know, was a bigger deal, um, them having full-time security, but they had that when they were governor and first lady of Indiana. And so it was just like to a way bigger level, obviously. Um, so things, I think everything was just to a bigger, more public level. Um, but like our day-to-day -day interactions, um, even though I was on the campaign trail and I lived at the Naval Observatory for a while, um, didn't really change. I mean, we were always kind of you know, I can still just, I'll call him and he'll answer no matter what he's doing. And that was always kind of the case before. And it's, it's still the case now. Um, so I think probably I'll look back on this and think how crazy it was, but at the time <laughs> it's kind of hard to be like, what is so different, um, in the day to day. It's well, that's really cool to hear, like just the day to day. And I think it's probably hard for people to imagine it, right? Because it's like, I think if my parent, if my dad was the VP, I can't even imagine what that would be like. But the one thing for me, like I go on and I read the news all the time. And so is it ever weird and a little surreal? And you're obviously you're used to it now. Your parents have been in the public eye for a long time. But to like go on to CNN or Fox News or go on to or like turn the news on and they're talking about your dad. Right. Or you're seeing your dad. Is that, is that ever a little strange? Um, yeah, it is funny. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be on Twitter and I'll, I'll learn about something from Twitter and be like, oh, or I'll, you know, um, like the other day I, I texted my dad and said I liked his tie because, you know, I saw that he was on you know <laughs> Twitter on the plane or whatever. He had a picture of it. And, um, and so it's weird in that sense that you can just kind of anytime log on and be like, oh, um, sometimes I, I, I worked in LA at a talent agency after, uh, the election and I would like, people had the news on all the time and I would just be walking past their office and he's like on TV. Um, so that's weird for sure. Um, I think <laughs> they get it more of a kick out of it to, um, to just be like, oh, is, is this strange for you? And yeah, it definitely is. Um, 
but also, I mean, he was in radio for a long time when I was yes. a little kid. Yeah. So I was used to always um, hearing him on, you know, the radio. So that's kind of funny to think about. Yeah. I mean, I can't like, could you have ever imagined as a kid when your dad's in radio and obviously a very talented guy who's done so much in politics and media, could you have ever imagined though, like, oh, my dad's going to be the vice president one day? Like, was that, is that ever something you thought as a kid? Was it, was that level of political aspiration in, in your family? Um, no, I think he, he, he would definitely say he never thought that that would happen. Um, and I think I would agree. I mean, I think he always wanted to be a congressman. He ran for Congress twice in the 80s and 88 and 90 and lost both times. And so we kids always joke it's because they didn't have us, obviously, because we came along after that. <laughs> but then he ran again in 2000 and was in for 12 years. But he always wanted to do that. Thought maybe he'd be able to be governor someday. But um, no, I mean, that was never really in the realm of possibility I think I could always have pictured it if I wanted to. I think, you know, if you think of your dad as this like amazing person, you're like, well, he's going to be president. Um, so I think that there's that aspect of it as a little kid. Um, but I remember being, yeah, nervous about him running for governor when I was really, really little and he didn't run for years. And that was not even a thing at the time. But I think that that God kind of, you know, sort of prepared him and our family for each stage when we were ready for it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I couldn't have pictured it though. So, well, and it's, it's interesting too. And I want to talk a little bit about your upbringing and then get into your faith story because your journey is like so many other people's. And I think when, when you did, you know, an episode, the first episode of your show talking about your journey and you've talked about it throughout, um, throughout the show. And, mm -hmm. um, for those who don't know, the show's doubting it and it's on the edify podcast network. You can go listen to that. Um, and it's on all, every other platform where podcasts are, but your upbringing, I'd love to hear about it because you guys really have been such consistent voices of faith and people of faith who just live it out. And I think that is a lot of times we hear people talking about faith, which is great. Um, but seeing people live that out and and being able to sense that it's a part of just the family unit and it's a, a part of each you know person's life is phenomenal. So tell me a little bit about faith in your family growing up. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that it's kind of funny. We went to different churches growing up. We kind of had a couple that we would like bop around to. Um, and I think also just with moving from Indiana to DC, we had like a really, like a church we were very involved in and then moving makes it obviously difficult always. But so as far as like, but my, my parents, I think made our faith in our family very, uh, real and more on like a personal level, um, with Jesus. And so they, that they really stressed that I think looking back, like we would have church in our house, sometimes just us. Um, and it was always like, you were, you were encouraged to ask questions. You were encouraged to, um, you know, talk about things that you didn't agree with or that you were confused about, but, but there was always the aspect of having a personal relationship, um, that I think was really good because I think when you, sometimes if you get like into a church community, that's great. But then if anything happens in that church community, um, it can really affect your faith. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that they, they definitely made 
are their faith very evident also just how they live their life how they did so in dc um in washington which is very they live very differently um than a lot of people i think um they were very open with their faith um with their staff about their faith um and it was always something that was talked about i mean even to this day my dad is like always always talking about his faith with his staff and so i think that that um that's just a way that you you kind of are the same person in every room if that makes sense like he's the same at work as he is at church as he is with his family and so i think that's a hard thing for anybody to do um but i, I think that they they did it well yeah all right so something i want to ask you about and it's so it sounds like well a it sounds like you guys grew up in a way that was authentic and my kids ask me so many questions where i'm just like oh my gosh that's a really good question a i've never thought of it and some of them are silly questions that just make you laugh kind of. Um, but others are things like, wow, I hadn't thought about that through a kid's eyes. And so it's amazing that your parents kind of fostered that. And then that independence of having that relationship, right? That personal relationship with Jesus, which is the core of Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. So did you guys grow up non-denominational? What was sort of the, the, the denominational feel for the family? Yeah, I would say non-denominational. Um, my parents were both raised Catholic. Um, and so my dad kind of became, I guess, evangelical, non-denominational in um, college and then met my mom and they kind of started, I guess, going to those kinds of churches and just really stressing that personal relationship. Um, and so we were not like I was I was christened, you know, in a, in a Catholic church as a baby, um, but we um, really were more non-denominational. So. And I think that's kind of what I would say now. I honestly didn't really know what denominations were until like later in life, I think, because we always went to like, you know, the Bible school or Christian school or Bible church. And I didn't really know like what's um, the, what's the difference between them. So I would say non-denominational. Yeah. Yeah. It gets confusing sometimes. It's like, well, I, I go to a Calvary chapel, so I guess I'm non-denominational, you know, yeah. um, like the chains versus the denominations. But mm -hmm. um, so you brought up your mom and your dad after they met. Well, one of the things this dominated headlines and anybody listening to this knows because it became such a huge thing, but the Billy Graham rule, you know, the mm -hmm. fact that there was there, I think it was the Washington post. They kind of brought this story back from years ago, the early two thousands. Um, yeah. This idea that your dad doesn't, you know, dine alone. You know, this is the way that the media presented it with um, women who are not his wife. And at parties, you know, they tend to stick together if there's going to be alcohol there, those sorts of things. And it became, it was almost like this alien invasion. Like people just couldn't understand in the media why this would be a thing. And so, what was your reaction to watching that unfold? Again, these are your parents, and it becomes a massive national conversation about your dad's. Um, policies and and all that. So what was going through your head as you watched that unfold? Yeah, you know, I, I think that, I don't know, at the end of the day, I, I was really proud of him, not because of the story or anything, you know, being in the media. Um, it, it's just because that I always knew that was a thing with them. And that was good. <laughs> That's a very good thing. Um, my parents have a really great marriage and they've been married for 35 years and it's not the case with everybody. And I think that I just got, and I wrote, I wrote about this in my book, where you go, they, I got to the end of that. And I was like, I just, I'm just grateful that he always did that, that he always put my mom first and that he had, he was an example of a man who did that. And not only a person who respected my mom, 
but respected other women and other men in situations like that. Um, he, you know, I remember a, there was like a feminist, um, a, like academic professor from Yale, I think, who actually wrote an article in his defense saying um, this actually is is actually like pro woman. It's actually making it so that a woman doesn't feel she has to get dinner and basically go on a date with her boss to get promoted. Um, that she's going to be promoted for other things and that is pressure that people feel in the workplace. And this was right before the Me Too movement really yeah. started. And people started seeing that sometimes even if um, a person in power is unintentionally putting pressure on somebody um, to go to dinner with them, even just to go to dinner, I mean, that's still affecting somebody's life and it's affecting like how they think they might be able to be promoted, which isn't right. And my parents just were very, very intentional. Like I said, how they lived in DC was not the culture. And I'm really proud of them for that. And if any, no one had ever noticed it in ever, you know, I think I still would have been because it's, it was just such a good thing for them and for their marriage. Um, and, and I've, I've talked to so many people, um, even like young people around the country have told me about this story and said, you know, my husband and I do that. And it was really nice to see that other people do. And it was also just kind of funny, I think, because most people in like middle America or even not middle America, but just not that are not in the media or whatever, like think that's normal. <laughs> it's like right, looked at that right. story and we're like, of course, why would you, why would you go to dinner with someone who's not your wife? Um, and I mean, I'm married now and like my husband and I will for sure, um, and do practice that. Um, and not even like really, um, I mean, we are intentional about it, but it's not, it's not like a rule. I mean, I think they made it weird and made it like a rule. It's like, no, right, just, right. it's about honoring your spouse. Yeah. And outside of that, I mean, let's say somebody is just looking strategically at making sure that they're safe in their role, that if you have a lot of power, you mm -hmm. want to make sure that you avoid a situation where you could be accused of something perhaps that didn't happen. Um, and so you take every step, you know, and I'm not saying he was, I'm just saying in general, talking about this, it makes mm -hmm. sense. You know, one of the critiques was, well, it puts women at a disadvantage. But what was so interesting to me was going to the White House to meet with your father's office and meeting with different people. And everybody I met with was there were lots of women working there. There it wasn't yeah. as though women were not able to work, you know. So it was just yeah. it was it was very interesting to me. And people who very complimentary of your father and who had worked with him for a long time. And so so yeah, you know, it's it's a good opportunity for us to be able to explain to people, I think, why people believe these things and, and all that. So um, all right. So yeah, it is, I know it's, it's such, it's, a, it's an important thing too. And I think that it's even now, especially with like young Christian couples will talk to me about it and be like, Oh, that's a good idea because it is. I mean, it's, it, and at the time I thought it was so funny, which I wanted to say, I, like when it was such a big deal, I remember thinking like, well, my dad wasn't going to like dinners with people because he was coming home for dinner. My dad was home for dinner every night. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. He was home for dinner. He would come to all of our soccer games that he could come to. He would come to all of the plays, anything like that's why we lived in DC. If he couldn't come to dinner and he needed to have a, to do a vote, we like took dinner to him at the Hill. And so my dad had dinner with us. And so that's another important thing that I want to stress. Like it wasn't like, yes, this was an important thing my parents did for their marriage, but, um, you know, it's, it's something that was important for our family completely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I mean, you guys had a really normal existence in a world that is yeah. not so normal. And that mm -hmm. is amazing. That's powerful to hear. Now, 
your faith journey. And if people want to hear this, they can go listen to your podcast and hear it on, on episode one, especially because you do such an amazing job of explaining it. But you know, a lot of people might look at your family and say, oh, they've never had any problems. They've oh, everything's perfect. You know, every part of their faith journey is squeaky clean. And I've spent a lot of time with the Robertson family from Duck Dynasty. And what I love about them is they're very open about the fact that that's not the case, that they've had, you know, that they've had struggles like because they're human beings. Um mm -hmm. What for you, I know in your faith journey, it wasn't always the solid, you know, line upward that you've you've had your own doubts and moments. And that's hence the word, the term doubting it, the name of your podcast. But yeah. what can you tell us about your faith journey, especially high school and college? Yeah, you know, I um, I was obviously raised in a Christian home and always kind of had that faith. But I think that over time I sort of started thinking okay is this not really like um do I not really have to follow all of these things like all of these rules and so I in high school um and college I think would kind of started turning away from my faith a little bit I would go to things um still I would go to like youth groups but I just was always um just kind of questioning it and thinking like okay but I can be Christian and not really follow the rules. And um, that really wasn't true. And so I, I got to like my junior year of college and I went abroad for the year and I was going through stuff at the time. And I just was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like do any religion stuff for an entire year. I was like, oh, I'm wow. just not going to do that. And I didn't go um, to really anything. I mean, I didn't go to, uh, I think I, I went into a church one time because I remember going in, but friends would invite me to stuff. And I was like, I just, you know, I, I, I didn't want to go unless it was like a Christmas like service. And I was just like not interested in it. And it, I think I just wanted to see, um, you know, these other people seem fine. Like they seem good. They're not religious and they're doing fine. And I, I noticed over the year that just I kept every time I looked back over this journal and every time I'd written in it, it was something had happened that was related to like some kind of faith thing, like I'd read something or whatever. And it would just kind of hit me that I had turned away from God, but I say to people that he was still coming after me the whole time. And I really just had almost like a conversion experience where I just really felt like his presence and just um, came back to him. And after that, came back to um, America after the year and uh, really, really was like a born again Christian. I mean, it was kind of funny. Like I had never lost my faith, but I, I wasn't living the way it was supposed to be living. And I wasn't really pursuing Christ. And my parents, I mean, were probably thought it probably like got a kick out of it because I would be reading Bible stories, like telling them about it. And they were like, yeah. I was just going to ask, how were they reacting <laughs> during this time? Because I've been through that. I've been through this too, where you in college for me, that's when it happened really. Um, and I just tried to make excuses for the way I wanted to live. Right. I just tried to like, and it, and it never left me, but I tried to leave it. I tried to leave God, but he never left me, you know, and then you kind of come back and you're like, what was, what in the world was I thinking? And what mm -hmm. was that? And, but then you, yeah, I mean, very similar yeah. to what you've described. So how did your parents react in the midst of that? Well, I really, um, I really got close to them and I got, I, I really lost other, you know, relationships and friendships. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it was, it was totally like a 180, I think on kind of who I was, but my, um, I think my parents were thrilled, um, 
And it was fun to be able to talk to them about these stories and to be reading them with a new, new eyes kind of, and to, to go back into like reading my Bible every day and, um, and, and wanting to, and like having that, that assuredness, I guess, when I interviewed Eric Metaxas, he really convicted me because he was saying, you know, doubt is definitely a part of the faith journey, but we're not supposed to like stay in this doubting phase. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not what God wants. Like there are answers for you if you seek after him. And so, um, that's really was my experience. And I think that's also important to know, you know, that like, you're not supposed to stay in this very, I mean, it's kind of a cool, like doubting area of like, I don't know for sure. And I think that's kind of trendy right now. And, um, that's not really where you're supposed to stay. And I, I definitely experienced that, but, um, they were great. I mean, I, I worked at a, like a ministry camp, um, the summer after I graduated. And then that was when my dad got picked, um, to be VP. So I was home and, which is also, a totally normal thing to happen. To somebody. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I was not expecting that. And that was another thing that was so great because I was supposed, I was choosing between these two camps I was going to go to. And like one was in Canada and one was in Indiana. And I really wanted to go to the Canada one. And my friend was going and it was this whole thing. I was, we were like counselors and, um, I just felt this intense pressure to go to the Indiana one. I was like, I don't know why it's like less money. I was like, I don't want to do this. And I was like sick, like physically sick. I was like, I have to go to the Indiana one. And it was like, I'd been praying about it and seeing what I should do and kind of, or kind of, you know, looking into it. And Indiana one was also a Christian camp. And I think that was a, a part of it um, that I had these like very strong Christian people, Christian leaders around me at that time. Um, but then also, yes, it was very good. I was not in Canada when my dad was back for that. Yeah. That would have been kind of a thing. So. Um, I have so many other, I actually want to have you back for a part two, because there's so much more I want to ask yeah. you. Um, I mean, this it's so fascinating to, and I know some of these things, but some of these questions we haven't talked about, because I, I was picking your brain the other day. I was asking you, what's it like to be, the same question I started with, what's it like mm -hmm. to be, you know, the the VP's daughter and how do you respond to critics and all those things? And I want to, yeah. I definitely want to have you back to talk about that, but I, I also want to give you a chance. You know, your podcast, Doubting It, is about doubt, what you were just describing. And I will tell you that being in that state of doubt, that is that is really convicting because when I read scripture, like I was just reading 1 Samuel and going through, and I have all these moments where I'm like, wait, why does it say that? And I don't think this is a bad thing. You know, What does that mean? And I'll go and look things up. Almost every chapter I read, I do that because I want to know, well, why would David do that? Like, Why would he... That yeah. seems like very counter, you know, what, and so, and when you do look, you find those answers and it's so important. And on your mm -hmm. podcast, you're talking to people who've gone through these amazing journeys, these difficult journeys sometimes. What is your hope for the takeaway from your podcast after people listen to it? Yeah. You know, I hope that people, um, see that it's okay to have doubts or to have questions, um, and to kind of hopefully be inspired by these uh, faith journeys of people who have gone on and maybe they're this prominent faith leader now, but they struggle with doubt too. And so I think that a lot of times when people don't have a place to voice their doubts or their questions, um, it just ends up that you just isolate yourself because you feel judged. And so I think that that's really my goal is to, is to also just have a conversation about faith um 
I'm going to have an episode on election day because it comes out on Tuesday and um, I'll do an, a monologue for that one. And it'll, it'll be talking about current events too. Cause I think that faith and current events go together so much and there's really not a ton of talk about it. Um, and so I just want to encourage people to be able to talk about their questions, but also talk about their faith openly and, and not feel like they're alone, which I think can, can really happen, especially when you're doubting. I love it. Well, we're going to make sure that we link out, make sure people get a chance to listen to your podcast and you have to come back again. I so appreciate you coming on today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And that brings us to the end of today's Edify podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I really hope you had a good time listening to what Charlotte had to say. Very interesting life story. I, I am a huge fan of being able to peek behind the curtain of people's lives, especially people in the public eye, getting a chance to know who they are, where they come from, and what matters most to them. And so we had a chance to do that today here on the podcast. And next week, we're going to be seeing what happens in this country. Uh, I mean, hopefully next week. Hopefully the <laughs> results of the election are in by then. Um, and I anticipate they hopefully will be. But we'll have to wait and see what happens. I'm super intrigued. But the one thing, just to leave on this note, because I think this is so important. There is so much division and hatred and chaos. We need to be praying for this country, praying for each other. If there's someone on the other side that you know who disagrees with you, pray for them. I mean, pray, though, mainly right now for President Donald Trump and for former Vice President Joe Biden, because one of these men is going to become the next leader of the free world, and we need to be offering prayer. It doesn't matter if you like them, if you vote for them, if you agree with them. The Bible doesn't have any exception where it says, hey, only pray for those who you agree with in leadership. We are called to pray for them. So let's do that as we move into the rest of this week, into the weekend, and into what is said to be the most important and contentious election of our lifetimes. And so I will see you next week, the day after the election next Wednesday on the Edify podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Edify podcast. For more transformational and faith-inspiring podcasts, head over to edify.app where you can stream thousands of Christian shows right now. And for convenience on the go, download the Edify podcast app today from the Apple and Google Play stores and at edify.app.